This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and a writer, and my recent book is Find Your Happy at Work. Our guest today, William Vanderblumen, was a senior pastor at a young age. Next, he became an HR manager in a large corporation, where he was mentored by an expert in the very best corporate practices. From there, William established Vanderplumen Search Group, which now has grown into a leading international consulting firm focused particularly on churches and other faith-based organizations. William and his colleagues look carefully at data and processes, and they've turned that understanding into a deep knowledge about hiring employees and helping them to thrive. The firm's experts understand what helps candidates get the jobs and then succeed and stay with their employers. Today, William will share tips about how to land a job, how to get off to a great start, and if you're a leader, how to keep your team members happy and engaged. William, thank you so much for being with me here today. I think we're gonna find a lot to talk about and uh, I think we're gonna have a good time. I'm thrilled to be here, Bev. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to kind of tap your brain for some insights about the search process and what um, candidates uh, might do to help themselves in leadership and a bunch of topics. But before we get into that, at Just About Work, we always like to find a bit about our guest's own career story, and yours is an interesting one. I know you started as a pastor and then became a corporate guy. Can you tell us a bit about your career and and how you uh, went about um, creating your own firm? Oh, I, I, I wish I had a lovely strategic story of how I master planned the path we're on and can claim credit for all the wonderful things that have happened, but it's, it's quite the opposite. I uh, fell into the right place at the right time and uh, now have the honor and, and you know, blessing of getting to serve a whole lot of people because we happen to be where we needed to be right at the right time. And, and to, to unpack that in story form, I served as a pastor for about 15 years and uh, mainly in the Presbyterian church and mainly as a senior pastor and was forever getting in trouble with my Presbyterian friends for having friends from other denominations or types of churches, <laughs> whether you know Methodists or Baptists or non-denominationals or liberals or conservatives or whatever. I was kind of, a, I don't know, I guess you could say my friend list was either diverse or schizophrenic. I'm not sure which. Uh, or both, but, uh, or, but maybe both. There you go. And so, so um, I went through a divorce, but it, it was just sort of a, a long, slow, tragic thing. Nothing sudden or catastrophic, and and you know, fault on both sides. So, uh, but as providence would have it, uh, that became a turning point. I found myself as a single dad, and 
in no shape to preach to people or tell them how to care for themselves. So I, I went into the corporate world. And while I was serving at a rather large oil and gas company as a Fortune 200, um, they, they had put me in a sort of a management rotation and HR was the first year. So I served in HR and the CEO who'd been there nine years, which I didn't realize was a lifetime for a company that size, uh, said, it's time for me to step down. It's time to find my successor. And then they, they went and hired this thing called a search firm. I'd never heard of anything like this, but I was on the HR team. So I was kind of at best water boy for the team as they went through this process. And, and I, I got to watch this succession happen. Now, the, the last church that I'd served as the senior pastor was First Presbyterian Houston, which is a fantastic church. It's where Sam Houston attended. It's, it's, it's a leader in the city of Houston. It's, it's filled with super smart people. And so it should be easy for them to find a pastor. It took them three years to find me. And then wow. I served. Yeah, isn't it crazy, right? What company would survive that? And then um, I stayed about six years. And, and granted, my departure was a little bumpy because there's a divorce, but the church was far bigger than me. It didn't, I didn't shake their foundation or anything. Uh, took them about three years to find the next guy. And that was just normal. So they had a, they had a, a 12 year run where half the time they had a pastor and half the time they were looking for a pastor. And that was just kind of life as normal. It's all I'd ever known. I went to straight from Wake Forest to Princeton for seminary and straight into ministry. So I didn't know any different. So I'm at this oil and gas company. They start their search for a successor. I'm all buckled up for a long journey. And 90 days later, we're done. I'm like, wow. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. So I can say it a little more cleanly now, but I think I just got kind of a, a really, I call it a holy discontent inside me to say, why in the world does the business world have a better solution than this church that I've served, Church Universal, uh, for transitioning leaders? And, and I started looking around and nobody had ever had a search firm for churches. And the churches, you know, they're saying in the church, we're forever raising the flag at sunset. We're a little late to the game. Uh, and uh, yeah. we, we had just not gotten on on board with that. And lo and behold, my diverse and schizophrenic friend list turned into a bunch of people. I started calling saying, I wonder if I could help you. I went and, I went and studied under a guy who'd been with Russell Reynolds, which is one of the best search firms in the world. And uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that I came home. You've met my wife, Adrian, who you ought to have on the show yes. instead of me. She's far smarter and more engaging than I am. But uh, I, we had just gotten married, blended our families, six kids, new house. And I came home and I said, Adrian, I, I think I'm supposed to quit my job and start something new for churches. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, oh, oh, yeah, that's because churches love new ideas, right? <laughs> yes. And, and it was the fall of 2008. Uh, so, oh, my. I mean, oh, dear. I mean, it was just the dumbest time in the world to make that kind of move. But what I didn't realize was it was the right time. Twitter started the same month we did. Facebook had just come into the public sphere. Uh, there, there was a huge disruption. The number of non-denominational churches had far surpassed those who were connected to denominational systems. So there's just, uh, uh, I could give you 50 reasons why there was a convergence of right place, right time that I didn't even know about. 
and we happened to be there right then and and stepped into it and now you know 15 years later we've served thousands and thousands of organizations and not just churches now schools nonprofits uh cause based companies and uh it's just been a joy to get to be a part of it so i understand that you're even international now with all kinds of organizations yeah well to be fair most of our work is in the english speaking world uh we do have some work we've done in uh spanish speaking countries We've done a little bit of work in uh, Mandarin, but mostly English. So Europe, Australia, and we're starting to kind of figure out what that looks like in terms of actually planting a flag, probably in England sometime this year. So it's it's an exciting time. It sounds to me that you took the knowledge of corporate practices, kind of best practices of all organizations, and apply them to churches and other faith-based organizations. And along the way, you've kept learning because you keep your eye on data and, and you're aware of processes and things like that. Do you think that what you're learning about how the search and the leadership process works, what you're learning with your faith-based uh, constituents. Uh, does that apply to lots of other organizations? Are you learning things that could help candidates of, for, say, for corporate jobs or universities? Such, such a good question, Bev. And as you and I have discussed um, offline, we're kind of, I don't know, 75% of the way through this big project where we've tried to distill some things down. We've actually interviewed 25,000 uh, interviews of people face-to-face long format. So, so finalists for jobs, not like just the mass for a search, but the, the best of the best. We've done over 25,000. It's probably more like 30,000 now. And, and we sat down and we said, what are the top 1% of those people? Uh, who, you know, could, could we identify who were the best interviews we did over the years? And they were easily identified. We had several meetings of our entire team that were days long. And then we said, you know, do those people have anything that they exhibited in common? And the answer is yes. And the list was stunningly clear and also stunningly surprising. And so we sat down and said, well, what do we do with that? And so, as you know, we're in the middle of like between now and next fall, we're going to be releasing a project. And you say, well, that's all fine and well, but how does that affect me? I work in a business, not a church. Well, Interesting thing, another just sort of fell into the right place, right time. Every one of the interviews that we did was for a person whose primary work was in human or soft skills, right? So like the the ability to relate to one another. We're not interviewing brain surgeons about how they deal with the frontal lobe or pilots about how to land a plane, nothing super technical like back-end coding. This is how do you work with volunteers how do you work with people how do you motivate how do you and and as you look out over the labor landscape for the next 10 years i think those qualities those soft skills are going to become the new gold standard for every human that wants a job in the corporate sector and and there's i mean think about how much artificial intelligence is going to replace some of the hard skills that there are um i it, I totally agree with you, William. We had a, a another guest recently, uh, Mark Dyson, who is a um, 
person who uh, coaches people on on being a candidate and so forth. And what he said, what he's hearing is that we're going to stop calling these incredible skills soft skills and start calling them essential skills, because yes. that's what all kinds of organizations are really struggling with. Well, I, I was sitting down, you know, at our annual retreat as a staff and sitting with the consultants, and I asked them, you know, what what do your searches really boil down to when it gets to the last two people? And the answer around the table was pretty much the same. Uh, but then the guy, Jay, who's been with me longer than anybody, he's probably done more searches than I have. Uh, he said, well, you know, at the end of the day, it really, most of the time, it just boils down to who gets along well with others. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and as you think about, um, I'm excited about artificial intelligence and about how the landscape's going to change. But I think what that's going to mean is humans are going to have to do the one thing that they can do that no one else can, and that is be more human. And and so all, right. of the, all the skills that we've identified in our top candidates are human skills. They're not reproducible by an algorithm. And uh, I think that, that what we're learning is going to be incredibly important to people in any sector of uh, the workforce. And it's not just about job searches. It's about everything. I, I think that um, we're talking about a new understanding of leadership. And, and I want to change gears a little bit. Um, to the extent it's about employees and candidates, it uh, brings me to something that I know you've been focused on because everybody is, and that's retention. I'm, a, I'm guessing that you're clients aren't just thinking about how to get people. They're worried about how they're going to keep people, uh, how they they don't want to do searches so often. Is that right? No. Well, okay. First of all, I think you're totally onto something. I think that employee retention will be the new competitive advantage in the workforce, but I also think that employers are not thinking about it. So, so I don't know when this is going to air, but we're in the middle of the first week of January right now, right? So I don't know if you've yeah. tried to go to the gym. You've tried to go to the gym this week, but it's insane because everyone's going to lose ten pounds and New Year's resolutions and all that, right? Uh, try going back in two weeks. You can have whatever treadmill you want, and I think I think people start initiatives well, but very few follow through and think about the end. I, I just don't. It's just not a, a a discipline that many people are good at. And so when you translate that to the employment sector, a lot of people are like, well, we've got to hire. And so we're going to hire and we're going to get it right. But they don't think about, oh, my gosh, what would it cost if we lost this person? Or better, better put, how much productivity could we generate or money could we save or 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 momentum could we gain by keeping this person for four and a half years instead of three? or 10 years instead of seven. And, and there are enormous studies showing that the millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming out are just not real interested in the world of serving 25, 30 years at a company and getting a gold watch. That's just not a motivator. So if you think of it, I, I don't know, Bev, maybe you can relate. I'm old enough that I remember when there were three networks and that's it, right? Yeah. And and Saturday morning was important to me because that's when the cartoons were on. It was the only time, right? You, you asked yes, one of my and you thought 
you thought career was a ladder, and if you landed That's in a right. good place, you're going to spend your whole life yeah. there. Just keep walking you, up the ladder. Got one of three yeah. options, and I'll have a path. But you ask a, one of my kids now, when are the cartoons on? They're like, whenever I want, and on whatever channel or platform or whatever I want. So you've got a workforce that's coming out now saying, I'm going to work here for a while, and then I'm going to flip the dial over to this for a while, and I might change careers for a while, and I might. So, and, and that's not inherently bad. It's just new. And so the idea that you're going to just offer one more promotion and it's going to keep people, that's out the window. I, I think now the game is how do we create an irresistible workplace that will cause people to stay a little longer than they would otherwise and bring their friends in as future employees. And, and in fact, it's the last book I wrote. I wrote it back in 2018. We called it Culture Wins. We were winning all these silly awards like, well, this one wasn't silly, but we we're the third best workplace in Houston with the top company culture for Entrepreneur Magazine. And then it got kind of crazy. We won uh, best office dog in the city. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. the team was like, you need to write a book about this while we're winning the awards. And I said, oh, that's crazy. And they said, no, write it now, because sooner or later we won't be winning the, <laughs> the awards. So. We drop back. Advice. We, well, I don't want to make it about me. All the culture yeah. books that are out there are the Nordstrom way. Uh, Life works is the Google story. Mercedes has one. So I was like, no, 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 no. Not make it about our company. We we went and we studied 150 different companies that were winning similar awards, and and we looked at secular companies. We looked at nonprofits. We looked at churches. We looked at people that are like in the IT industry. And we said, do they have anything in common, these people? And the answer was yes. And do they have a path forward? And the answer was yes. And so we built this roadmap based on what these other companies were teaching us, saying here's how they're building their... And I remember interviewing one IT guy, and he runs some form of, of data crunching for Wall Street investors. Okay, And so he's not necessarily values-driven or faith-based at all. And I asked him what he spent on his, uh, uh, he has a budget for workplace culture to make the place an appealing, irresistible workplace. And I said, why are you spending a million dollars a year on culture? It's a fairly small company. He said, well, William, here's the thing. The average churn in our industry, we have three or four competitors. And among the, the five of us, the average churn is about 54% a year. And Wow. And I've got 60 employees, so that's about 30 people I'm going to lose a year. How much would it cost me to hire you 30 times to do 30 searches? And how much momentum do I lose when I lose somebody and I have to train a new person? So, so the million dollars I'm pouring in is not because I want to make a fun place to work. It's because I want to keep being productive. And retention is is exactly what he's talking about. So I think smart companies are making serious investments in retention. But it's kind of like the... Uh, you hear the, the stories of don't just lose the weight, keep it off. Like don't just find the employee, keep them for a long time. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's very, very rare. So I think the smartest companies are pouring money into workplace culture. And that's not just sliding boards and foosball tables and video arcade games. That's like really how do we study how we can become a place people want to come to work. And my goodness, in a post-COVID hybrid workforce era, how much more tricky and essential is that? Well, you're you're talking to lots of candidates now who presumably some of them want to stay for a while. 
um, and you're talking to people who want to keep their people for a while, what are some of the things, what are some of the things we can do if we're trying to hold on to employees? Well, I, I think um, understanding the generations in your workplace makes a big difference. I, I, I read recently, you probably read something similar that this is the first time in the history of the country where we've had five different generations in the same workforce. And uh, yeah. that that requires a lot of understanding, like who am I dealing with? Is your workforce predominantly millennial? Is it Gen Z? Is it a mixture? And how can you do things that mix? So I think listening um, is maybe more important than ever. I'm, I'm a recovering preacher, so I talk a lot, but I'm trying to learn to, you know, the whole you get two ears and one mouth for a reason. I'm trying uh-huh. to listen to people yeah. and, and hear, hear what they need. Um, I think studying how you can assess whether your workplace is a healthy place. Uh, this is going to risk sounding like I'm pushing something out there, but we actually, in all these studies of workplaces, identified eight key health factors that were present. And so five years ago, we built... A, a survey, a tool, a real simple one that allowed people to assess how their team stacked against other organizations. We've had mm, 3,500 teams go through that now. And you can see like, here, we, how are we on communication? How are we in trust and leadership? How are we? And it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know how you've been, Bev, but as I get a little older, going to my physical is not as fun as it used to be because you learn things you don't no. want to learn. <laughs> but yes, it's kind of like that. <laughs> but you it's kind of like that. You you figure out, oh man, we have a trust issue or our people don't think they have a way forward. So I think whatever tool you use, ours is theculturetool.com, but you can use that or best places to work. There there are millions of assessments. Finding an an anonymous way for your employees to offer a data-driven uh answer for how are we doing and are we healthy or not is a great first step. And 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 then, of course, the, the question I get asked more than anything in the last year is, do we have to come into the office or do we work from home? And what does that look like? And I think that's wildly different for different industries. I don't I don't know how you assemble an automobile with virtual offices. That seems kind of hard. Uh, but, but there are well, some what, other- what are you doing? What did you come up with? Um, well, what I'm doing now may not be what I'm doing in a year, but we, our work is highly collaborative and it is really helpful. I mean, we're a small company. We have, uh, our, our consultants who are out facing clients have been virtual long before the pandemic. So that's, they're on the road. It's kind of like a, almost a, they're not a sales team, but it's kind of like in a lot of companies, that's what it is. But our core office people, it really makes a difference if they can just walk over to a desk and then somebody can hear in earshot, oh, that's going on. So we, for our context, we felt like being present made a big difference. On the other hand, we're, there's just a landslide of data that shows that if you don't show some flexibility, you're going to lose some people. So my COO, who is brilliant, uh, came up with the idea, what if we had monthly goals for each team? We're going to make them hard. They're not easy goals. And if, if they hit their goals in a given month, then that team for the next month gets Wednesdays virtual and there are no team meetings scheduled on Wednesdays so that, you know, you're not losing productivity. And uh, I don't know if it's a chicken and an egg thing, but 
everybody's hit their goals pretty good since that went into place. <laughs> so <laughs> currently Wednesdays, it's a little quiet up at the office and, and, and uh, that seems to be working for now, but I, I, I can't imagine that our particular type of work will be functioning at optimal performance if we're 100% virtual. There are other kinds that I, I know a great friend who built a giant company based on virtual executive assistants, and he nearly all of his employees are virtual. That's a whole different, whole different thing, right? So, yeah, it's there's so many variations. Well, I want to change gears a bit. Um, there's so many things we could talk about, but I just noticed the time, and I, I suspect that um, we have listeners out there that. Um, during 2023 are going to be thinking about changing jobs. Maybe they're already in a search. You have um, this huge database and I, I know you've talked to lots and lots of people. Do you have, do you have some tips for people about how they can be better candidates? What, what does it take to um, uh, stand out in the crowd if you're going after a job? Yeah, I, I think there are a few things that come to mind. I mean, immediately the 12 qualities that we've identified in these top, top candidates come to mind and that's all soft skills stuff. And that's when we're done with the research, the finished product's going to be awesome. But uh, if I had to, if I had to outline a few things that I think cause me to say, now that's a good candidate is one, they are at a place in their current job where they have completed the task that was given to them. Now, that's not, you know, if you're in accounting, you have returns to do every year. So are you completed? But have you have you trained up the person underneath you? Have you are you leaving the place hanging if you walk out? Uh, and, you know, the I've heard a bunch of times that people join companies for their cause and they leave companies because of bad managers. So you might have a toxic manager and you're not able to say. It might just be, I'm not flourishing here and this isn't working, so I have to leave. But if you've got a good answer for why you're leaving, that that is always appealing in an interview. And, and I'll say this, I don't think I've ever walked out of an interview saying, that's a great candidate, when the candidate spoke poorly of their current employer. It's just, yeah, you know, it just, it because sooner or later, I'll be their current employer and when is it going to be my turn to be the bad guy? Now, a lot of people are in bad workplaces and something like 72% of all Americans hate their current job, not are mildly engaged or whatever, but like hate their job. So it's easy to come up with bad things to say, but I, you know, my, I was raised in the South Bev and I had one of those mothers that said, if you can't say something nice, you know, don't say anything at all. I think if when in your interview, if you can say the best things possible about your current work and show that you've completed what has been asked of you, that that's a, a real standout. And another thing that I would uh, consistently um, point candidates to is make sure you're telling people what you have done what you have accomplished. The best predictor of future performance is past performance. And so don't tell me what you would do if you got this job, but tell me what you have done and how that interfaces with what you're interviewing 
to do. And if you really want to take it another layer, if you really want to be like standing out, show some measure of self-awareness. And, and I, that can be through any number of things. And, you know, there are so many good personality inventories, the DISC, the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram. The, I mean, the list goes on and on. But just become fluent in one and know yourself. You say, well, I'm interviewing for this marketing job at your company, William, and you do a lot of content-based marketing and inbound stuff. And let me just tell you, I, uh, I've written blogs for our current company. I've written every three days for the last four years. Well, that's amazing. Uh, I, I, I've had to come up with new content that we didn't know anything about before. Well, that's what we're doing all the time. And, and you know, I've just studied myself enough now to know that I'm, a, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So I'm going to drive to say, how do we do this better? And one of our values at our company is constant improvements. I'm like, huh. So I think I watch you guys trying to improve all the time. That's kind of who I am. That's what makes drives me. And I've done what you're asking me to do. So I think I'm going to, I think I've, I could probably add some value here and I'd be honored to come work for you. Well, that's going to stand out. You've shown me what you've done. You've shown me, you know, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about us and how we might fit. That's, that's pretty special. It sounds like, you know, I'm hearing a, a couple of themes here. One is um, the example you just showed, show somebody who understands data and processes. They can give you numbers of the kinds of things they've done, whether it's dollars or a number of uh, events, things like that. And also in that, there's a tone of positivity. Um, Nobody wants to hire a new colleague who's going to be a Debbie Downer or whatever. You (laughs) want to work with somebody who's got an upbeat, optimistic um, attitude, particularly starting yes. out. So that can shine through even in your, even in your resume, when you're talking about, uh, or your cover letter, talking about your current company and what you want in life, kind of data well, and, and, uh, but, and, and positivity. And Beth, you are so spot on. And I think that if you really, if you really want to take it to the next level, like I've said forever to clients and to candidates, when we're tasked with a search, we're tasked with an organ transplant. Like we're supposed to go find somebody outside the body of this company and bring them into the company to run a major system, right? And if you talk to transplant doctors, they'll tell you, you know, yeah, finding a donor list is is hard, but the real art, what really separates the best transplant doctors from the rest is their ability to do the tissue match. Because you can put a healthy heart into a healthy body and if the tissues don't match, everybody loses. So for me, if I'm giving advice to somebody looking for their next step, complete what you're, what you're called to complete the task, show that you've done some good things. Don't speak badly about your employer, but when you're talking about what, how you would fit in with the company you're interviewing with, know them enough to know if you fit in. Like we're, we are, one of our values is solution side living. And it's a joke around the office that, uh, give me Tigger over Eeyore all day long. I want positivity. I want, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're doing a new thing. Churches have never had this before. Not all companies are like that. You know, if you're going to work for IBM, that's an entirely different, you know, culture. And if you yeah. if you can know yourself and know the employer a little and show how you are a tissue match, that's that's gold. That is really good advice too. And I, sad to say, we're out of time. But I think that's a good note to to leave on. And I I really appreciate 
um, all you're sharing. And I'm looking forward to hearing about um, what you're going to do with all that data when you publish it. Thanks, Bev. It's a joy to be with you, and uh, you're just a delight to visit with. Well, I uh, hope we talk again soon, and meanwhile, I hope your 2023 is getting off to a terrific start. Same to you. Happy New Year to you. Today, we've been talking with William Vanderblumen about job searches and organizational cultures. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that two keys to impressing an employer are, one, having real details and data about what you've accomplished, and two, approaching work with an optimistic can-do attitude. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Thank you.